So we are going to make a, a bit of a transition from the world of Westminster to the world of Hollywood. So let me ask a question. Anybody here seen any of the Mission Impossible series of films? So every adventure in these Mission Impossible question, uh, films starts with a little statement. Anybody know what it is? This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. So Michael Frost, who's quite a well-known, sort of, he would describe himself as a missiologist, which is a kind of person who talks a lot about mission, and he says this, that mission is not chiefly about planting and growing churches, it is about alerting everyone everywhere to the universal reign of God through Christ. That is our mission, should you choose to accept it. Now, if it was totally down to us, that would be a mission impossible. Fortunately, it's not because we have received power from on high to be a people who demonstrate and proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. In other words, the universal reign of God through Christ. And you know, isn't, as Caleb said already, it's not just about what we do when we gather here together. It's who we are out there uh, in our neighborhoods, among our family and friends, the places where we work. We are letting people know that the world is under new management, that each person is loved by God, infinitely precious to Him, and that He has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ in order to reconcile us to Himself and ultimately to rid the world of evil. And to let them know that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. We can know Him as a loving Father who is with us, in us, for us, as we live our day-to-day lives. So this morning, as Caleb said, we're talking about our distinctives, the things that we want to characterize us as a church. And the first distinctive is Jesus. At the head and heart of our faith is a person. It's all about Him. That means that, that we believe that being a Christian isn't primarily about signing up to a particular set of beliefs or attending church or holding certain moral standards or even pursuing a cause. All of these things are important, but they are not what comes first. First and foremost, it's about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's all about Him. And maybe you're thinking this morning, well, that's pretty obvious. You know, that, why do we even have to, to say that? Well, let me give you four reasons this morning why we need to be clear that it's all about Jesus. First of all, because a surprising number of churches don't make that clear. Secondly, because the world needs to hear it, as Rachel has been so eloquently pointing out. Thirdly, because it's true. And fourthly, because we ourselves need to be continually reminded of it. So that's where we're going this morning. Let me deal firstly with this first point. A surprising number of churches don't say it. A sermon that I heard that had a profound uh, 
impact on me was one that I heard nearly 40 years ago. My wife Pam and I had been Christians for only a short time when we moved to a new town. It wasn't York. And we were going around trying out a few churches. And in one church, the preacher gave a really brilliant talk on the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, John chapter 4. And it, it was a really well-crafted talk. He told some moving stories, told some great jokes. He was persuasive. He focused on making one point really clearly. And the point was, it's wrong to waste water. <laughs> you can laugh. I was convicted. I was in. I'm sorry to say that Pam was left entirely unmoved. <laughs> to this day, despite my numerous appeals, she still leaves the tap running when she's brushing her teeth. Not just running, but gushing. <laughs> it really was a, it was a very engaging talk, but the thing that struck me most wasn't what he said, but what he didn't say. It was like Jesus had a walk-on part in the big story of water management. And I remember thinking at the time, if ever I'm asked to preach, which at that time was about as likely as being invited to join the British Olympic squad, I thought, if ever I'm asked to preach, I want to make Jesus the main thing. So here I am, 40 years later, this is my big chance. <laughs> now listen, I'm not saying that water conservation isn't important. You know, the year before last, we were thrilled to be able to contribute towards providing a supply of clean water to a bunch of people who didn't have that. Nor am I saying that it is wrong to address ethical and moral issues. Of course, there is a place for that, but that is not the main thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this. He says, what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, then to the Twelve, then to more than 500 at the same time. Notice the phrase of first importance. You know, it's very easy to, to get a bee in our bonnet about some particular issue, maybe about the end times or, or the place of Israel or the, or the use of some particular spiritual gift. It's not that these things are unimportant and we do cover them as part of our kind of ongoing teaching program, but they are not what is of first importance. And we want to make sure that, however, that how we think and how we speak about other things is shaped by the main thing which is the good news about Jesus. So that just simply means that, that we want everything that we do and say as a church to be about pointing people to Him, to the person of Jesus. For those who don't know Him yet, who don't know God, we want to introduce them to Jesus. That comes before any issues of lifestyle or who they're sleeping with or how they brush their teeth or anything like that. Then once you are committed to following Jesus as Lord, then we invite you to join us in encouraging one another and putting Him first in every area of our lives and seeking to align our lives with His 
teaching. So whatever else might be true of us as a church, first and foremost, we want to be a church that is centered on Jesus and his kingdom. The second reason that we want to say that it's all about Jesus is because the world needs to know this. You know, when it comes to Jesus, there is so much fake news around. Popular books like, you know, that great historic church history book, The Da Vinci Code, (laughs) The God Delusion. You know, these books just do not stand up to scrutiny, and yet they have had a huge effect on popular culture. And the reality is that the good, it's not that, of course, you know, over the centuries, some bad things have been done in the name of Jesus. We, you know, we need to, we totally accept that. But, but the, the reality is the good news of the kingdom is not oppressive, as people try to make out. It is liberating. That's one of the reasons why it spreads so quickly in the Roman Empire. It's why it's growing in so many parts of the world today in Asia and Africa and South America. That's why it's the only force that the, the Chinese Communist Party cannot control. And, and this is why Christians in so many parts of the world are the most persecuted religion today, Pakistan, the Middle East. Here is, here's the big story. God is making himself known in the person of Jesus. The vast testimony to this, both throughout history and even in the present day, is overwhelming. In some countries, this is ruthlessly suppressed, but here in the West, it's dismissed as simply irrelevant. It just doesn't count because we think we know so much better. The irony is that even as we reject Jesus, we are embracing every crazy belief system imaginable. That is what is going on. We see ourselves as a progressive society, but in many ways, as Rachel was pointing out, we are regressing. We are going backwards into darkness, the the darkness that the gospel has done so much to deliver us from. If ever there was a time when people need to hear about Jesus, it's now. The problem is Christianity gets such a bad press that we can feel a bit embarrassed about it, can't we? It can be a bit intimidating. It's easier to talk about what we're doing as a church. Food bank, dead advice, massage therapy. Okay, I made that last one up, but it's worth thinking about, isn't it? It's easier to talk about those things than it is about the main thing. Of course, we, you know, we need to be wise about that. We understand this. In so many work situations now, we have to be very careful about what we say. But, but we need to remember that there is power in the name of Jesus. People, in my experience, are happy to talk about church, about faith, about God in general, but as soon as Jesus is named, woof, you know, it, it just, things can get very awkward. I remember one time in my last job, we were driving down the A1 one Monday morning with a colleague, and uh, he was driving, and he asked me stupidly, 
what I'd been up to at the weekend. And as it happens, I had been on a conference all about you-know-woo. And uh, when I started to explain this to him, it was like there was this amazing physical reaction. It's like his, his hands kind of locked onto the steering wheel. He's, I honestly thought for a minute he was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> it was like, I'm convinced that if we hadn't been driving at 75, 80 miles an hour down the A1, he'd have been out of the car. There, there was just such a strong reaction because, you see, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven that is given to us by which we can be saved. And however awkward and uncomfortable it may be, the world needs to hear that name. As well as embarrassment, I think there's something else that can kind of hold us back a bit, that can affect us, and that is doubt. It's, you know, you can feel like, I'm not sure I'm, I'm really equipped to talk about this. I need to be more sure of where I stand on a few things. Let's, let's talk about that for a bit this morning. I wonder, has anybody here ever had any doubts about God and any of the stuff that we read in the Bible? Put your hand up if you've had, whoa, that's even worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Listen, doubt is a normal part of the human condition. Here's the deal. We are material beings with limited understanding, living on a broken planet that's been invaded by evil, relating to a God that we cannot see and who often seems silent and deaf to our prayers. What could possibly go wrong? No wonder at times we feel confused, disappointed, unloved, even abandoned. Why do we think God included in the Bible books like Lamentations? I knew I'd get it in sometime. <laughs> Psalms, Job, Habakkuk, Ecclesiastes. God not only understands our doubts, it seems to me that He gives us the very words to express them. Jesus Himself spoke these words on the cross when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, it just seems to me that Jesus makes a distinction between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is honesty. Doubt is looking for the light, while unbelief is just content to live in darkness. I don't think that doubt is the opposite of faith. In fact, I, doubt and faith coexist together. If everything was clear and certain, then we wouldn't need faith, would we? I just love, you know, that Jesus had the opportunity, if you think about it, to eliminate doubt for all time. He could have appeared with a choir of angels the Monday after the resurrection and triumphantly declared, I'm back. Or he could have staged a spectacular display before thousands of people in the Roman Forum. Instead, what we see happening is he limited his appearance to small groups of people who had already demonstrated an attachment to him, which tells us something about the kind of faith that he's looking for. He, he's looking for followers, not fans. And in one of those small gatherings, the apostle who would give rise to the nickname 
doubting Thomas, confronted Jesus. And I love that scene for two reasons. Firstly, I love the gentle way that Jesus treats him, that treats the doubter when he had a perfect chance to pile on the guilt. What proof do you need, Thomas? Here, touch my wounds. Here's, here's the, where's the spear went into my side? Do you want to, you know, there was just such a personal and gentle approach. Secondly, I love the fact that the other disciples who had already encountered the risen Jesus still include Thomas in their midst. They could have shunned him because he defiantly refused to believe in the resurrection, which of course is the cornerstone of Christian faith. Instead, they, they welcomed him. They included him to stay on the journey with him. And just think, if Thomas had stayed away, if he thought, I'm just not on the same page as you guys, if he had stayed away, he might never have met the resurrected Jesus. And, and, it, and you see, it grieves me when I hear someone say that they feel they need to stay away from church because they're struggling with doubts of some kind or another. If you have doubts, this is exactly the place that you need to be. We all have doubts. I tell you, there are some things that I'm less sure about than I was 20 years ago. Some things I'm more sure about. Of this I'm sure, that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried according to Scripture, and that he rose on the third day, and that he is alive now. And he is the true king of the universe. Of that, any doubts I have had about that, and I have had doubts in the past, but of that now, I'm pretty clear. But there's some stuff that I'm still, some doctrine, some teaching, some aspect of the Bible, I'm thinking, you know, I, I just can't get my head around that. We all are struggling with doubts of one kind or another. And we're not here to pressure anyone into saying that they believe something that they don't. All I will say is that you don't have to understand everything before you act on the main thing. Jesus has invited us into a partnership with him in bringing hope and comfort and love to a planet that is full of strife and pain. And one of the best ways, I think, to dispel your doubts is to get involved in what he is doing, to see the risen Jesus at work in other people, in transforming lives. That does wonders to dispel your doubts. Anyone experience that? It really just does. You see, the world needs to see and hear the good news about Jesus. A third reason, and this is probably the most important reason we say that it's all about Jesus, is because it is. It's true. Jesus is the center of everything. Whether or not we recognize it, it's not that we make him the center. All we can do is choose Choose whether or not to align our lives with that reality. Let's take another look at that wonderful passage that we read at the start of the meeting from Colossians chapter 1. It says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he 
holds all creation together. We could, honestly, we could spend the rest of the year unpacking this. It is written in the form of a poem. It was probably sung as a hymn by the early church. It's not just great theology. It is heartfelt worship, which, of course, is where all good theology leads us. So firstly, it shows us that Jesus is God with skin. If you want to know what God is like, you only have to look at him. He is the perfect representation of God. Secondly, he existed before all created things. In the beginning was the Word. Thirdly, and this is the thing that I really want to draw your attention to this morning, all things were created through him and for him. For a long time now, scientists have recognized that there is order in the natural universe, an order that extends from the very largest objects like stars and galaxies to the very smallest subatomic particles. And so there has been a quest by scientists to come up with what is referred to as a theory of everything. It's like a search for the one all-encompassing theory that beautifully explains all the rules governing the observable natural phenomena, from the movement of stars and galaxies to the works of Shakespeare, from the human brain to creepy crawlies, a theory that explains and kind of holds it all together. We, uh, we, got, we thought we were getting close to it about 100 years ago when Einstein came up with his theory of general relativity, E equals mc squared. It was a huge step forward in understanding the universe. What he showed was that time and space are not separate realities, but are what operate together in what is called the space-time continuum. You've probably seen pictures of that depicted like a big trampoline with objects rolling around on it and so on. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. There's a relationship between mass and speed and all of those things. So, for example, this can work at so many levels. Someone says to you, for example, you've been putting on a bit of weight over Christmas. You can say, no, 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 it's not that. It's just that I'm moving faster. <laughs> so, for a while, it looked as if we were getting, you know, this, it was a huge step forward. But at the same time, a whole new world of research was opening up in quantum physics, which was the study, like at the other end of the spectrum, with really small subatomic particles. And what became clear is that the rules that govern large object, objects like planets don't seem to operate at the subatomic level. There's a whole different set of things going on there. And so the quest to find this theory of everything continues to this day. Now, what is happening is that in recent years, some scientists have begun to take a different approach, and they're observing that it's as if the laws governing the universe are the answer to an unknown question. And so the real quest is shifting, and it's the quest is becoming to find the question to which the universe is the answer. The late Stephen Hawking said, if we find the answer to that, the question of why the universe exists, then we would know the mind of God. Now, I'm pro-science. I think science is, is, a, is really important. I think the whole faith versus science argument is it's just it's not 
It's not even an argument we should be having. But science is not designed to, to uncover what only God can reveal. And God has already revealed to us the reason why the universe exists. It's all about Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. He is the answer to the question. It all starts with him and ends with him. He is both the cause and the purpose of all creation. And it's in him that it all holds together. Right now, Jesus is keeping the stars and the planets in motion. He is sustaining the life of every creature on earth, including those who reject him, including those demonic beings who have rebelled against his authority. What, what governs the universe is not a set of impersonal rules, but a person. He is the center around which everything else turns. If he ever took a day off, then the whole thing would fall apart. You know that song we used to sing? He's got the whole world <laughs> in his hand. It's true. He really does have the whole world in his hands. And you know what? You, you and I will never be able to fully explain him. But, and this is the most amazing thing of all, we can know him. We can know that we are loved by him. We can have a personal relationship with this one who holds all things together. Now this is eternal life, said John the Apostle, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So our faith is centered not on a set of doctrines or a cause or some impersonal force, but on a person. It is all about Jesus. Finally, we ourselves need to be continually reminded of this. And the reason is because we are all prone to make our lives about something else. Isn't that right? We don't set out to do that. We just kind of drift into it because we are making it, we are living in a world that makes it very easy to drift, to drift into making our life about something other than Jesus. That is our default position. Everyone has something at the center of their life, the thing that everything else tends to revolve around. Maybe it's work or family or some leisure pursuit, maybe some cause that you feel passionately about. These are all good things, but they're not designed to be the main thing, the thing that's of first importance. Because I, you know, perhaps most commonly of all, we have a tendency to make our lives all about ourselves. Isn't that right? It's, it's, you know, this is much easier to see in other people than it is in yourself. Our five-year-old granddaughter confided in Pam in all seriousness very recently. Mummy is so selfish. <laughs> she only ever thinks about herself and what she wants. <laughs> Honestly, we have laughed about that. It's, 
It's so great to know that our genes are being transmitted on down <laughs> through the generations. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, what I find, this is my last point here. If I wanted the band come back up at this point in time, I'm just about to finish up here. It's really hard to stay centered on Jesus on my own. Our relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not private. The center, here's the thing, the center of gravity in our, relation, in our relationship with Jesus is here in his church. It's not in your heart. It's not on some mountaintop. It's not at some conference, but in the messy local gathering of Christ's imperfect but blood-bought people. One of the reasons I love being part of this church is because you guys keep reminding me that it truly is all about Jesus. Not so much by what you say as by what I see demonstrated in your lives. We, we need to be part of the church if we're going to stay centered on Jesus. So maybe this morning, let me just finish with this, you're recognizing in your heart that that you've kind of lost sight of this just a bit, that, that you've maybe been a bit preoccupied with other things. It's not that you've forgotten about Jesus, but he is no longer the main character in your story, the story that you are living out. If that's you, then I just want to suggest that now, at the start of this new year, is a really good time just to ask our Heavenly Father to help us find our way back to where we belong, where our life functions best, which is with Jesus at the center. Can we just bow our heads just before we worship God? Let's just take a moment to let, let the Father apply that to our hearts. Let the Spirit speak to us, and let's just respond to Him. If He's just putting His finger on something that is a good thing, but it's become the main thing, and just talk to him. Let him speak to you about it. Let's just respond in our hearts.